And at that intersection, at that stoplight, was a gas station. And that gas station, when I was at Ole Miss, was where a guy worked who had sexually assaulted me when I was a freshman in college at the University of Mississippi. Hey everyone, it's Mary Demuth with The Restory Show, and today I have Lorelei Majernik with me, and she and I met each other during a writer's intensive. She was in my writer's intensive last year, and Lorelei, thanks for so much for coming on The Restory Show today. Thank you for having me. So um, what story, and I already know a little bit of it, but what story would you like to share today with The Restory listeners? Well, I want to talk about... um, the writing project I was working on and where that has led um, in my own life because it's been a pretty amazing moment for me here this last year and a half. So um, I started out as a stay-at-home mom with a football blogging hobby and football podcasting uh, because that just kind of gave me something fun to do because I liked college football. And at the time, the um, story of the Baylor sex assaults started hitting the news. And I just, I, I was really moved by them just as a female football fan and a Texan and most importantly a Christian. Um, I was surprised that the Baylor co-eds were not being heard and were not being believed and were having a hard time um, getting help for what had happened to them. So I started researching and I am putting together what I have found in a book that should hopefully be out this year. But the biggest part of it was when I went to um, spend a weekend in Oxford, Mississippi at a friend's house to work on the book. And I went to an intersection, and at that intersection, at that stoplight, was a gas station. And that gas station, when I was at Ole Miss, was where a guy worked who had sexually assaulted me when I was a freshman in college at the University of Mississippi. And I realized it was just the strangest moment. It just hit me that I had never really faced what had happened to me um, 25 years ago. And I, I couldn't bawl, but I had to, I, I just had to tear up because I realized I had not dealt with this and worse still, I thought I had dealt with it. And I think that's even worse when you think you're really okay, but some you know you realize you're not and I knew that was why I had been so sympathetic to survivors of assault on all college campuses and as we're seeing right now the Me Too movement even the Church Too movement there's a lot of people who have been hurt and we don't talk about it and what's so frustrating to me is that these women at Baylor were downplayed and treated poorly, not unlike I was 25 years ago. And I was like, how can it be that after all this time, we still have not made much progress? Um, My way of dealing with it was to transfer schools because it got to be too much for me. 
and that was that was all that was what you did back then mm. but to know that some of these women were doing the same thing or were dropping out was it was just really unbelievable <laughs> so that's been the big thing for me is working through that and uh, the book has actually been healing in that mm-hmm. aspect as well I have often said that every time I write a book I get healed of something so <laughs> uh, I, I welcome <laughs> I welcome that like I, I don't know if yeah, the books yeah. sell or not but I'm so grateful for the healing God brings in my own words to me it's weird Yes, I, I, that's, I'm feeling that. I can really understand what you mean. Yeah. One yeah. of the things I tell survivors is that um, as an untold story never heals. And I think, I think too what happens, and, and maybe this is your case or not, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we might like quasi deal with something. We may tell one or two people, but then we kind of decide, okay, it's done. I'm done. I'm over it now. I'm going to shove it way down deep and I'm never going to talk about it again. And, uh, let's move on with my life. And that doesn't, it lasts for a certain amount of time like you experienced, but it usually comes back up again. Is that what you dealt with? That, that describes it perfectly. Absolutely. So you can sit there and think, well, everything is going fine now because I'm married and I have kids and I go to church every Sunday and this and that. But you know, that's when, that's when you stop at the intersection and, and yeah. you have that moment and realize it, you're not, you're not quite there yet. So now you yeah. mentioned that you had moved to a different campus. Did your parents know what had happened to you? Um, my mother knew vaguely, um, uh, unfortunately she is not the most supportive person in the world. And also just for, the time and the end, the generation she was from her, her main reaction was who's going to want to marry you. So that's not not terribly helpful. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, um, my father, if he knew at all, you just, you just don't talk about it. You just stuff it, you shelve it and, and you go on. So, um, that was, they were um, they were happy to have me move back closer to home anyway, and I think we knew it was one of the reasons why, but we just didn't talk about it. And that big elephant in the room almost always makes the victim feel more shame, I would think. Yes, yes, and I think that's a very common um, experience for survivors when you can't talk about it. And so did, was there anyone in your life during that time where you were able to say this terrible thing happened to me? There were a few sorority sisters um, when I was at Ole Miss, um, but there were just as many that sided against me because the guy involved was a fraternity brother of their boyfriend's fiancés, and so they had to go with their their boyfriend. And that's really when it got to be too difficult was because I couldn't even feel secure in my sorority house, which should, you know, it's supposed to be your home away from home, you know? So, um, yeah, that, that did a lot to make me not trust other girls, frankly, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, kind of like, gosh, with friends like these type of situation. Yeah. (laughs) And you see that, I think, you know, what you've said about, you know, writing about the story and then uncovering that not much has changed. It's starting to, thankfully, but 
Uh, yes. So much victim blaming goes on. And so many times I think we want to live in a world where this doesn't happen. And so if we deny that it happens or we downplay it or ask, well, what did you wear or all that, then we can put the blame on the victim and we don't have to live in a society where upstanding citizens in fraternities or football teams do things like this. Exactly. Exactly. And I, this really is an incredible moment that so many people are coming out in all kinds of different avenues, areas of life. And I'm, and I'm glad it's happening, but it is a shame that somehow it is always the victim's fault, whether that's male or female, um, because it happens to men too. Um, it is, it is really amazing that they always try to find out how much did you drink what did you wear well you must have done something you did something wrong to get there so in your case was it more of a attack or was it a like on a date or at a party or something like on in your everyday life where it happened it was um it was a date, basically. He was someone I, I saw on again, off again. Um, he he kind of he was a bit frightening to begin with when he had too much to drink, and I had had and I admit I had had way too much to drink, but I still don't think that deserves what you know to be attacked. So, um, you know, sometimes also when you've had enough to drink, you kind of you don't really process what's going on. And you don't really think what's happening is actually happening to you. And I tell people I did the kind of floated up above the situation. And um, I'm thankful that it was not any worse than it was for some reason. I, I just, God was just looking out for me and it was not, he was able to just like stop and, um, kind of helped me get back dressed up. He goes, you're okay. You're okay. No, 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 this is all right. This, this is okay. You know, type of thing, because he knew, I think he just, I don't know if he had a conscious moment mm-hmm. or something, you know, that just hit him. But, um, it was still hard because I still had that floating sensation. So it's like, I still couldn't quite, figure out was this real was this you know am I imagining this type of thing and I have found out that's actually common I, I, yeah. so I didn't know that yeah yeah I mean I was not intoxicated at five years old but I floated too I think a lot of people float because you're in what happens is you're in the middle of trauma and your mind cannot conceive of what is going on and so you you the natural thing to do to protect yourself is to disassociate and that it has nothing to do with, with drugs or alcohol or anything. And, and so that's why it's interesting that people would ask the question of, you know, whether you drank or not, or what you were wearing or what, you know, whatever, it's just, it, that those things are unrelated to the trauma response. Um, they often talk about fight or flight, but they don't, you don't often hear about freeze and freeze is a very, very common one. And I think a yes. lot of people yes. freeze when this happens. Mm-hmm. I think so. Uh, and I think that's why it's hard when these cases do get prosecuted. People have a hard time believing the victim when she takes the stand because the trauma response is such that she may not be completely clear on all the details. And so uh, people unfortunately take that that she's making up. 
the story, and that, that's not necessarily the case. There's a story going on around now, and it'll be a little late when this airs, but uh, about a youth pastor who um, accosted a, a girl in his youth group, and the excuse that his now church is saying is, oh, it's 20 years ago, that was a long time ago, it was just youthful indiscretion, but she has had to live with this for 20 years. And for the perpetrator, it's like one second of their life or 28 seconds or four minutes or whatever. And they somehow are able to get on with their life very easily. But those that same period of time affects a victim for the rest of their lives. How would you respond to someone who said, well, you know, it was 20, 25 years ago, it doesn't really count. <laughs> Um, it does count and the years you know you you don't maybe um, maybe maybe he can compartmentalize that men are good at compartmentalizing there supposedly (laughs) maybe he can get past that but because of what of the nature of what happens no you, you don't necessarily move on past that especially if there is just going to be this kind of denial i am i am in shock at how his church has just really just let this go and um applauding him when he comes up um to say he's sorry and that sort of thing um i've been following it on twitter Mm -hmm. um a Me bit because there's some really good groups. Yes, there's some really good groups that are um, really, they're not afraid. I mean, they are getting in his face and they're reminding him, this is what you did. And I say more power to him. But it, it is really a shame that people can take such a tragic moment in someone's life and just um, forget about it. Uh, I, I think of the Stanford swimmer's dad saying, why punish my son for 20 minutes of action? Oh, my word. That was just disgusting. You know, (laughs) so it's that same kind of thing. You know, you just, you, you wish you could come through the screen and punch them, but you know, you can't. So, (laughs) because that doesn't do anything either, but yeah, it's It's, difficult. It's very true and very frustrating, I think. And, and what, um, what I think is interesting too is that there is usually a, a giant lag time between the offense and beginning to deal with it. And you know, you talked about being at that intersection and being triggered back, and that was so many years ago that that happened. And so the other problem is is that the statute of limitations almost always runs out. That's changing, thankfully, state to state, but. Um, we don't typically, especially with children who are sexually assaulted, they don't share for a long time because they don't have any words or containers to put it. And when they do, it's pretty rare that a community would, would rally around them. I mean, there's some parents out there that are doing an amazing job and there's some services out there, advocacy centers that are doing a great job at that. But for the most part, especially if it happens within the church, then you've got a really huge problem because a lot of times the church will take it in-house. They won't report the crime and they'll do an internal investigation. And then sometimes they will put the victim and the perpetrator in a room and tell the victim to forgive the poor crying perpetrator and re-traumatizing the victim one more time. And I think we have a lot to learn about, you know, and if I'm going to get passionate, it's going to be around this issue. We have a lot to learn about how to deal with sexual abuse in a Christian context. And I think that's why, you know, what you're doing and in, in investigating 
what went on at Baylor in writing this book, it's important because this was not a secular institution. This was supposedly at that time, you know, touting its Christian roots. And yet um, it seems like, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit too, it seems like people were worshiping the almighty football more than they were worshiping the God of the victim, if that makes sense. Yes, um, and that is really where my book has kind of taken me as well, is that this is what happens when you, you know, you can't serve two masters. And when your team starts winning and you start bringing in a lot of funds for your university, so your rankings academically go up and, and sports they go up, that becomes more of what you're serving than Jesus. And anytime that happens, we all know in our own lives what 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 happens there you know you end up you end up falling and unfortunately that's really what happens with the school and um i think that's really the root of where all of this started because then they started lowering their standards for who they allowed in so that they could bring in um guys that had questionable backgrounds already to play football because they were good players um, and it wasn't just football that's probably my, also my big thing too it was it wasn't just football but that was the main that was the big headline getter if anything at least it helped bring attention to the situation for the girls who were assaulted by their ra or by the fraternity president you know just other guys on campus they were just as uh, mistreated as well so and i yes, think it absolutely it, it does depend upon the 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 i don't know the celebrity maybe of the perpetrator because we're seeing that with right. the, with the church situation you've got a celebrity pastor and so people want to believe the celebrity over the the weaker one so to speak or the one who whistle blew absolutely Yes, absolutely. And that's the shame because if we really step back and look at it, Jesus would be with the victim mm -hmm. and, and he would be standing up for and wanting to protect the victim. And that is also a part I want to talk about in the book is, you know, Christ's healing from the situation because these girls, these survivors can be, um, they can find that healing through Christ. Um, I have. I know you have. You know, and and we and we're still going. You know, we'll we'll still we'll still seek it, and but we will find it there. And I think the school itself has had a really big moment of self awareness, and I'm glad for that. I'm very pleased for that. I don't. I really want to end my book on a hopeful note that they have at least been more willing to look at themselves and and realize they they just took it way too far. So what um, what kind of roadblocks did you run into or did you when you were doing this investigation? Um, I think the hardest part is that because I am independent, you know, I only have so many resources. It's still kind of hard to have people talk. Uh, that want to talk. Um, the few victims I've reached out to, that's another big deal because they don't necessarily want to talk either. And as a survivor myself, I certainly understand that. Um, so that's probably been my biggest thing is that I can't quite get all the pieces I want. There's also a big trial coming up at the end of uh, this year, at the end of 2018. 
And I'm actually hoping to cover that. I'm Hopefully my book will be out by then, but I would like to actually go to the trial because I think that's a lot of it too. People don't want to... Um, well, you don't you don't want to make too many conclusions. You do want to see the trial and make sure everybody, you know, all the facts are heard and that type of thing. And really, I think the media itself, the media blew up everything so quickly that it's really hard to get at the truth. It's trying it's hard to figure out what is sensationalism from Twitter or the papers or what have you. Yeah, and I think there, there's there's a fine line that the media walks there because we need yes. good journalism to expose injustice, but we don't need fake news and we don't need sensational news. We actually need truthful news, which maybe those two Correct. words don't fit together anymore. But um. I wonder, I wonder. <laughs> so so that, does, that does make it very difficult. And, and frankly, I think the biggest obstacle of all is the really diehard fans, alumni that just still believe this is all a conspiracy from rival schools. Mm -hmm. And that's the part where I just, I'm like, wow, please stop. Why would so many women make this up? This isn't one or two, you know, this is, this is several. This is a lot. So, and yeah. it, it bids to, or it nods to this idea of power and control. And um, if if you have the power and you have the control, you get to control the narrative, or right. you at least try to. And mm-hmm. you see that when perpetrators are exposed to have power and control and fame. They often go to this conspiracy dialogue where they say, this is a conspiracy. You see it at the church of the, the guy that was accused of um, hurting the girl in his youth group, raping, or not raping, but sexually assaulting the girl assaulting, in his youth group. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, just, you know, they're talking about, oh, it's a conspiracy of someone against us because they just don't want, in their case, they don't want, it's against Jesus. You know, they don't want the word of God to go right. forth, which... Yeah. is really convoluted, but you're seeing these same kinds of patterns, and I don't even know what to do with that. I mean, how do you combat that? Because if you combat it, then you look like you're part of the conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I really don't know how, well, uh, Hollywood even, just, you know, people that they did not want to upset the people in control and in, in charge there by saying anything. And, oh, my goodness, I that has been a really difficult thing to see as well and I, I I can't find the answer on that one mm-hmm. I really can't I love that you're going to be bring Jesus into this book that you're writing but I think you know that I go back to that scripture that even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and you see the apostles and you see that particularly the Pharisees looking for a new kingdom that was political with all sorts of power when are you going to restore the kingdom, Jesus? When is it going to happen? When do we get to vanquish the Romans? When's it going to happen? And uh, it, Jesus's kingdom is not that way at all. It's completely opposite and upside down with all the broken people leading the way. And so that's where I kind of think that this is a hallmark issue in the body of Christ. Because first of all, um, Satan's greatest scheme against humanity is this sexual sin that yes I just believe that wholeheartedly I do too I do too and you know 
it's, um, it's just such a, I don't know, I think it's a huge issue and I think it's a watershed issue for the church because we, we're, when we believe that having power equals evangelism or it equals success or it means that the church will advance, Jesus has never advanced the church from the top down. It's always been from underneath, you know, from the, from the weak Correct. and the small. Yeah, correct. Uh, in fact, I messaged one of the kind of watchdog groups on Twitter. I was like, you know, is the evangelical church having, I called it a Catholic problem because I don't know how else to say it, but, you know, the Catholic church went through this and they're still having fallout from this. And I feel like now it's the Protestant church that is in the the hot seat, so to speak. And I think for all those years we pointed the finger at the Catholics and it is such a shame that to see that we've, we're just as, we're all just as guilty and we have all been hurting our, our, our weakest members, the ones that we should be standing up for. Right. And defending and dignifying. And yeah, I remember, um, Boz Chavidjan said about the Catholic church crisis, the sexual abuse crisis. He said, uh, in an interview years ago, he said, doesn't even come close to what's happening in the Protestant church. And people were kind of like, mm. no, I don't believe that. But now, wow. you know, as, as all of this is coming out, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely true. And yes. we have no centrality to be able to deal with it. So it's all like that little bitty Baptist church over there has this problem. And then that, you know, little church over there has that problem and none of them are connected. And then also, you know, we saw it in the Catholic church where the priest got sent here and there and here and there, but you know, they had records of that being sent with us. <laughs> you know, you can see predators sent from church to church and there's yes. not enough rec- record, you know, recording of that other than if there had been some sort of legal action, but usually there wasn't. And so then there's no way of knowing that that youth pastor or that pastor is ha- has a past. That's so right. that's why it makes it worse and more insidious. Yes. Yes. So yeah, it, has, it is really something that we've all got to work together on to make better. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to, to love the least of these, um, (laughs) those who have been hurt by power and control. And, you know, you see that in Hollywood, you're seeing it everywhere in every strata of society. And finally, I think people are standing up and saying, no more, this is enough. It's done. It's over. We're not going to stand for this anymore. And I'm super grateful for that. Same here. So in this, so how has how has God brought more healing to you as you've been writing this book? What kinds of things has he been doing to help you come to a new place? I have always said that redemption is kind of my life theme, but I also see that um, the word courage, courageous comes up as well. I'm not so afraid to stand up and talk about what has happened, not just to me, but just in general. Uh, all, all over, you know, this crisis, I, I think that's been the really, really good part also, but more importantly, just knowing that you have to take the hurt, you have to take the pain and you have to give it to God. Mm -hmm. You have to. And the only, you know, the only way out is through the only way you're going to get past it is to just grieve it and pray and journal what whatever it is you have to do talk with a christian counselor um because when you loosen up 
and let go of that pain and you pull it out from where it's been stuffed, your heart gets bigger mm-hmm. and you get to love more. And you, you know, you just, there are some days where I just want to hug everybody, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm like, it's, oh my goodness, Jesus loves us so much. This is the best. So um, that's what's been great is that it has, it's given me the courage to speak out, but it's also just given me more like capacity to, to love and to, and to empathize. I think that's the power of the kingdom right there is that I think the Lord wants to enlarge our hearts. And I think part of your superpower and part of my superpower is the fact that we've got great empathy and we will listen to those who want to tell a story. And that's so rare these days. People would rather, we're busy people or we just don't want to know that the world's bad. So we just don't listen to those things. And But I think we're going to change, you know, not by our wits, but through Jesus Christ, we're going to see the world changed because we're um, sharing our stories. And and those who are listening to this podcast today, sharing your story is going to set someone else free. Not only will it set you free because you'll get the gunk out, but it will enable and empower someone else to go, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that has this story anymore. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's just so amazing to see. Yeah, it's such a it's such a cool thing. So what kind of advice would you give to someone who is kind of maybe they're at a stoplight where there's a gas station <laughs> and they've been triggered like if someone is now like dealing with something that happened in the past, what kind of tender words would you give to them? Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up most of all on God. Um he's he's there. And he's been there the whole time, even when you were, even when you were being assaulted. And um, keep grieve, mm-hmm. grieve. And if that means cry, cry, or write it out, whatever you need to do, so that you don't get stuck there. And that's the other important part: is that grieve so that you can let it go and move forward. Because when you get past it, you will get past it. And it's it it's so amazing when you do. And being able to reach out to others is also extremely helpful. Yeah, you really heal when you're when you're reaching out to others. So and getting outside of yourself. And I and I do want to just say for those who are struggling with the idea of the omnipresence of God, uh, just to to dignify that, um, I still struggle with the, that idea, and I know that it's true, and I know that he's everywhere, and he was there, and it's still a tender thing I hold in tension, because I don't quite, as a mom, I don't quite get why it wasn't stopped. Now, of course, I'm theologically adept, and I know that man has free will, and we do bad things to each other, so I get that, but um, it's just something to hold in tension, and hopefully not let it be something that prevents you from asking Jesus for help. Absolutely. If, it, if it's confusing and, to you. And, and I think that is a hard thing because you, you're like, well, then why, why, why did it go forward? Why did it get where it, where it happened? So um, hopefully that wasn't triggering for anybody, but no, it's, it's okay if you don't quite get that right now. It's okay if you, if you hold it in tension, as you say, I think I think that's probably the best way to to um, describe it. Yeah, I think it's just this tentative truth or this this thing that I don't quite have the answer. I'm farther along than I was, right? But it's a paradigm. It's a um, it's a it's a continuum. And the closer I get to Jesus, the more I'm getting it. But um, 
I won't really, no, none of us will get all of it until we get to the other side. No, we will never understand absolutely. the tapestry yeah. of our story until we get to the other side. That's right. That's right. And so in the past year, you've kind of answered this question, but how has God restoried you? Um, I am certainly more willing to speak up, speak out, and I'm looking forward to actually doing something about this. Um, I've signed up to go on a mission trip to help women who have been trafficked um, in Portland this summer, so I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to this book coming out, and you know, like you said, even if it doesn't sell, what it's done for me has been amazing. Um, but hopefully I can be of some help. But I'm I'm looking forward to not being on the bench anymore, to use the football metaphor. <laughs> yes, it all comes back to football. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Get out there and get into the game. <laughs> exactly. And I think that is the thing that we're seeing this groundswell of right now. We're seeing people because we're discovering each other. And that team is actually greater than the yes. the team that offended because I think together with all those voices, you're seeing some pretty profound dialogue and some change going on. So it, it is incredible. So it's fun to meet people. Um, and it's not fun to cry together, no. but it's good. <laughs> it's, it's good to cry together. You need yeah. it too. You know, it, it does help everybody heal and um yeah we're, we're the bigger team <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to the restory show today mind if i pray for you lord i pray for those who have a similar story to laura lee's and i pray father that you would help all those who have been victimized to know that you are good you are there and you love to heal and lord i know there are still pesky questions about why didn't you rescue I don't have all the answers to those questions, but I still know in the, in the midst of it all that you are a God who loves to restore his people. So I pray for restoration this week. I also pray for those who are praying upon others that for their sake they would be caught. And I pray that the church would rise up and become a safe place for victims and an unsafe place for perpetrators. And I pray, Father, that you would... Um, you would clean house in this area, that this would no longer be a place, the church would not be a place of cover-up, but a place of light and truth. And so thank you that uh, you will bring that to pass and that you are working in and through so many people and so many voices these days. And Lord, I, I thank you for making yet another day for us to live in. Thank you for giving us breath and life and light. We're so grateful for you, for your work on our behalf and the fact that we have a beautiful life today. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you would like to continue to hear stories like Laura Lee's, consider becoming a Patreon sponsor. Watch for new exclusive benefits for patrons, including a secret podcast just for you every month. It's coming. You will find a Patreon button in the show notes. So please go ahead and click on that. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can help keep the Restory show on the air. That just basically pays for the engineering of the show. So thank you in advance for that. Um, that is awesome. Also, if you would like to leave your own story, you can go to marydemuth.com. And on the right-hand side, you'll see a little microphone. And you can record up to four minutes. And we'll tack that on to one of the Restory show episodes. So if you'd like to have your story heard you can go ahead and do that. 
So if you would like to know more about today's show, just go to RestoryShow.com for the latest episode and all the information on today's episode. And may you live a brand new story this week.